0: Hebrews 11, 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Now, my sermon will consist, first of all, of a lengthy introduction. It will probably be half the sermon. So don't fear. I know this. We'll get through. All right? Then three short points and some uses. The first point will be, we'll look at the stories of the miracles. There are, of course, two stories behind these two verses. And uh, we'll look at the stories that these two verses are rooted in. And then secondly, we'll look at the means used for the miracles And then thirdly, the results of the miracles or the miracles themselves, all right? So we'll look at the story and the means used and then the miracles, and then then I have some uses. You may have noticed that these verses sound a little bit different than at least most of the verses before them. That's because there's a change in emphasis concerning one aspect of saving faith, and it's this. Until, most, until now, most of the examples of saving faith have been prominently linked with a named individual, right? By faith, Abel. By faith, Noah. By faith, Enoch, or Moses, or Abraham, or, or some named person. Not every one of them. There were a few exceptions but most of them are closely tied to a person of faith, a man or a woman of faith. And so a specific person's saving faith has been on display. So the pattern, again, has been by faith, and then a person is named. But in these two verses, the person who possesses the saving faith is actually not named. Now that's very obvious in the second example. It's not so obvious in the first, but after we look at that and think it through, I think you'll see um, that that's true. In neither of these verses is the person with saving faith actually named. Someone has saving faith, and so certain things happen. But what we see in these two verses is the result of saving faith. That's what's emphasized. God no longer, for some reason, in these two verses, wants to emphasize particular individuals. He wants to emphasize that saving faith has a certain kind of result. And that, of course, is what our uses will be about toward the end. All right? Now, let me show you this. Because what we have here is the miraculous benefits of somebody's saving faith front and center. And this will take a a few moments, and this is part of the introduction. This is why it'll be a little bit lengthier. But be patient. It's important. Let's take the most obvious case or the more obvious case first. That's the example of verse 30. How does it read? By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. Now, none of you are in any doubt. The walls of Jericho didn't have faith right? By faith, the walls, no, no, the walls didn't have faith. Someone had faith, or someones had faith, but the walls of Jericho did not have faith. So that one's easy. <laughs> no person of faith is named. Of course, we do understand from the verse that someone had faith, because this verse claims that because of faith, the walls fell. But the point isn't who had the faith. What God wants to emphasize is the result of that person's faith. God decided in this verse, he wanted to emphasize his miraculous work and the benefit that came from faith. He didn't want to uh, emphasize the particular believer or believers involved. Now, of course, if we go back to the book of Joshua, we learn that the primary man of faith was Joshua himself, along with some of Israel. But the text doesn't list Joshua and doesn't list them, and so therefore it ought not to be our emphasis. Yes, we, we've got the whole Bible, and so we know who, who this person of faith is, but, but that's not what God wants to really teach us from this verse, or he would have told us that, I think it's fair to say. Now let's go to verse 29 which is perhaps, at least at first glance, less clear. But let me show you from Scripture why this verse does not showcase Israel as the great possessors of saving faith, but as the benefactors of that saving faith. In other words, those who are mentioned here are the ones who receive the miraculous blessings of somebody else's faith. Now, again, with a quick look at the verse, you might say, well, no, no, it, it seems pretty plain, Pastor. By faith, the people cross. I mean, that's what it says. Now, in the Greek, it actually says, it actually really de-emphasizes them. I mean, we know who these people are because of the rest of the Bible. It's Israel. But in, in the, the Hebrew manuscript, uh, the Greek manuscript of Hebrews, it simply says, by faith, they crossed. It's not even a separate word. It's just part of the verb. There's no emphasis on them. But still, doesn't it say that Israel by faith crossed the Red Sea? Well, I hope if you start to think about that, that that statement will puzzle you. Yeah, you'll say, wait a minute. That doesn't really, does that make sense if we think about how earlier in this book, this writer under the inspiration of God has talked about these very same people and how in the rest of the Bible, those, that particular generation of Israel, who they were and uh, does that really make sense? And the short answer is no, it really doesn't make sense. (laughs) That can't be the right interpretation of this verse. And let me show that to you, all right? And again, this will take a few moments, but again, I think this is important. Doesn't it say that Israel, by faith, crossed the Red Sea? No, it doesn't. It could say that. That might be the right interpretation. But if we compare Scripture with Scripture, we find out, no, that's not the right way to understand this verse. There is another way to understand this verse, which is that by faith of someone, unmentioned, a group of people received the blessing of crossing the Red Sea, and another group of people didn't. And we'll find out when we look at the rest of Scripture, that's the right way to understand this verse. So both of these two verses aren't telling us whose faith is front and center here. It's telling us that there were certain miraculous benefits to that faith of an unnamed person. Nowhere in Scripture is this generation of Israel characterized by faith. Nowhere in scripture are they characterized as being a believing people. In fact, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, this particular generation is the poster child for unbelief and the miseries that come from it. Let me show you this in your Bibles. You can listen or you can try to flip real quickly, but if you go back to Hebrews 3 and 4, right earlier in the book, our authors talked about this group of people at length for two whole chapters, just about. He spent most of chapter 3 and 4 telling his hearers that this generation of Israelites was unbelieving. It's the whole point of the book. That they must not be like that generation or they will not receive the reward. They will not enter God's rest. You must believe and keep on believing. You can't be like that generation that did not have saving faith. That's his whole point. That's why he quotes Psalm 95. Here is the characteri- characterization of these people who were led out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, and into the wilderness toward the Promised Land. Chapter 3, verse 10. They always go astray in their heart. Well, I- What do you mean by that? Well, two verses later, he interprets that. And he says, you must be careful not to be like them, lest there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart. This generation of Israelites, with three exceptions, and that's all, were unbelievers. Israel as a whole did not have saving faith. Going on in verses 15 and 16, Israel committed rebellion. Who heard and yet rebelled? The author says. Wasn't wasn't it all of those who left Egypt led by Moses? That's interesting phraseology, isn't it? Oh, they heard the message, they heard the promises, they saw all the great things God did. Why they even left Egypt. They even crossed the Red Sea, led by Moses. (laughs) They weren't permitted to enter God's rest. Why? Verse 19 tells us very plainly, because of unbelief. They did not have saving faith this generation. Chapter 4, verse 2, the good news came to Israel, but the message didn't benefit them. Why? Because they didn't unite it with faith the verses say. Over and over again in this book, this generation, not every generation of Israel, but this generation of Israel is characterized by unbelief. If we go back to the Old Testament story, you say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. Let's go back to Exodus 14. Let's look at that story. Surely, I mean, they must have believed. I mean, they, they stepped into the, the, the water. Well, actually, they didn't. If you read it really carefully... Here's what happened, and this is a summary. Go back later and study Exodus 14 if you, if you like, but here's what it says. It's a very interesting story, the way it's put together. The Lord said to Moses, tell the people to stop in a very specific place. I want them surrounded. I want it to be hopeless. That, that's really what he's telling them, right? So that when the Egyptians come, I will rescue them, and they will know that I am their salvation. So Moses tells them where to go and how to turn around and, and the Egyptians go, oh, they're lost, they're wandering, uh, we got them, and they're, they're right up against the Red Sea, what we call the Red Sea, and their chariots are pursuing them. And, and what, were, what was the people's response? Well, according to verse 11, it's one thing and one thing only. They feared greatly, and that's all. Moses made a promise, and all they could do was see with their human eyes. They didn't believe the promise of God through Moses and see it with eyes of faith, and it becomes so real that they acted in response to that. Moses has to complain to God. God says, what are you you complaining to me about these people? Tell them to move forward. They don't move forward. It, this is not like in Joshua's day when they, when they started to step into the water and when they did that, it all worked out. No, they, they don't move. Moses has to raise his staff and part the waters. And it all dries out. And then the text is clear. Then they walk across on the dry land. Well, you know what? They've been walking on dry land. Now they're walking on dry land. There's no faith in this. There's no faith in this. This is what people who live by their eyes do. They go forward because the Egyptians are behind them. They don't go forward out of belief in the word of God. And, of course, they make it across because that was God's plan and God's promise. And the Egyptians don't because that was God's plan and he gave them no promise of that. So at the end of the chapter, Israel sees them dead on the shore and that the great power of God has saved them. So what is, their, what is their reaction? What is their response? Finally, it says, so the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. You see, they didn't believe God up until it was all done. Remember what faith, saving faith, is in Hebrews 11. It's when God tells you about the future and you so believe it and it so becomes real that you live your life in accordance with it. That's not what Israel did here. They lived by sight, they didn't live by faith. When it was all done, they could look back and go, oh, I believe now, you know what, it's too late. It's over, it's historical fact, You walk not by faith, by sight. It's done. This is an unbelieving generation. And so there are no more examples in the next 40 years of their history of faith anywhere in the Bible. It's not given in in the Old Testament. It's not given in Hebrews. Right? We skip all the way to the end, to the next generation, many of whom did believe God had given them hearts to look back at their parents and recognized that their unbelief had destroyed them. And so everyone 20 and under lived. Everyone 21 and older, they all died. Every single one of them, with three exceptions. The three men of faith. These three men are the ones who had the faith for the Red Sea to part. Fundamentally, Moses as the leader, the head of this people. But Joshua and Caleb, that's it. And that's that's reiterated over and over again in the Old Testament. There's not just one verse that says that. There are many. So this belief that they have at the end of chapter 14, this is just people awed by a miracle. This This is as if something as miraculous as this happened in your neighborhood and all your unsafe friends come out when it's all done and they go, oh, I believe now. Right. Well, do you? Or are you just in awe that something you can't explain happened? Mm. Do you fear God? Will you live a holy life? Will you turn away from your sins? Will you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. <laughs> or, or will you just go, wow, that was really something. I believe that happened. Believing that a miraculous event happened does not make you a a, a Christian. It doesn't make you a believer. It it says nothing about that. So this is just people awed by a miracle who have a kind of, frankly, forced, temporary, very temporary, non-saving faith 1 Corinthians ten one to 5, teaches the exact same thing. Paul says, our, our fathers passed through the sea. You know, they, they escaped Egypt. They had all the benefits of the presence of Christ in their lives. Because you know, the cloud, the glory, the, the food, all of that represented Christ. He was there for them. They got no benefit from it because they didn't join his presence with faith. So they all died in the wilderness, every last one of them but three, or being under 20. All the adults perished. But but surely some of them must have had saving faith after this. Paul answers in verse 5, nevertheless, with most of them, that's all but three, (laughs) God was not pleased. How do we know this? Because they were overthrown in the wilderness. The reason we know God wasn't pleased with them, the reason we know they didn't have faith is because they died in the wilderness. They did not reach the picture of eternal life, the promised land, Canaan. God was pleased with Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. This same view of the Red Sea generation is found in Acts 7. It's part of Stephen's speech. See, I told you it's all through the Bible. This isn't just one kind of weird twisting of one verse that might be taken multiple different ways. This is the testimony of Scripture. Amen. Right? Stephen summarizes the story this way. Moses led them out of Egypt by performing wonders at the Red Sea, but Israel was a stiff-necked people. That's an unbelieving people. Stephen said that our fathers refused to obey Moses. Psalm 95, yet another text, and there are more than one psalm about this. Psalm 95 even goes so far as to say in verse 10 that God loathed this generation because they were a people who did not believe or obey him. That's this generation. They did not have saving faith. Moses had faith. God's promise was to him and that people that he represented. And so by the we, we might read this verse, I think, comparing scripture with scripture, the right way to read this verse is something like this. By the faith of Moses, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. That's really the right way to understand this verse so it was his faith that parted the red sea and the people benefited by crossing safely you see in their hearts they're actually no different than the egyptians are they they they've just had a promise that the egyptians didn't have but but they're both unbelievers But they had a promise from God through a believing leader, and so they were physically saved. But as the generation 20 and older, according to Scripture, with just a few exceptions, they did not have saving faith. And so while they did cross the sea, they spent 40 years in miserable, rebellious trouble dying if there were as many as three million of them start to do the math right there there might have been more but however many there were for 40 years there are thousands of these people dying every day and they never turn they never figure it out that's how hard-hearted they are their children do by the grace of god but they never do they just die (laughs) So I would propose to you that this is the right way to read these two verses. It's not touting the faith of the walls of Jericho. It's not even touting the faith of the people of Israel because they didn't have any. But it is emphasizing the miraculous blessings that come from saving faith. And sometimes those blessings even come upon people who don't believe. We've seen that lesson in this chapter already. So now much more quickly. The stories of the miracles. Point one. That's the introduction. The stories of the miracles. I've rehearsed the crossing of the Red Sea so I won't repeat that except to say that again God promised Israel safety through the sea by Moses and the raised staff right? The Egyptians didn't have any such promise, and so when they entered, they put their lives at risk, and they were drowned. Now, the story of the fall of Jericho is likewise a miracle of the power of God. Again, though, it was his promise to Joshua, along with some instructions that they were to fulfill. The ark and the soldiers and the people, they were supposed to walk around the city one time for six days and then on the seventh day they were supposed to walk around it seven times blow the horns shout really loudly and God promised that when they did all of that the walls would fall down Joshua led the people in this he received this word from God he gave it to them and he and them more as believers than not better than their fathers obeyed God and they received the promise, which was to gain Jericho. Now, Jericho was and, and, and is today considered one of the oldest cities anywhere by civilization. There was a uh, very strong fortifications. And yet, in a week, without any long siege or any uh, great trouble, Jericho falls to Israel. So those are the stories of the miracles, just to remind you of them. Next, the means used for the miracles. In both stories, God gave instructions for how the miracle was to be effected. Moses was supposed to lift his staff and divide the sea. Israel was to walk around the city and shout. Now, I hope it is clear to you that both of these means are utterly inadequate to accomplish the promise. Right? I don't know of any piece of wood that when raised makes the ocean part and the, and the ground under it dry. I'm not aware of any especially uh, unamplified human voices that if you yell strongly enough can take 8, 10, 12, 20 foot thick walls to just fall over exactly right all the way around at the same time. These means that God gave them to do are clearly inadequate for what he's going to use them for, right? But it was what God commanded. And so it had to be done. Moses did have to raise his staff. The people did have to walk around the city. They needed to do it as God commanded them to do it. It was God's way of showing his people that if they obeyed him, he would powerfully work for them. The point wasn't for them to be thinking about themselves. The point was for them to fear God and glorify him because they could boast in him and they sure couldn't boast in themselves. This is all about the glory of God. The third point, the results of the miracles, or the miracles themselves. Of course, the Red Sea parted. That was the first one. And it stayed parted, I might add, for exactly the right amount of time. All of the hundreds of thousands or millions of Israelis crossed, and at just the right time, when Egypt was close behind or the chariots were, the waters didn't stay back any longer. It was dry so they could walk across. It wasn't for, it wasn't for Egypt. Their, their chariot wheels got stuck. Right? So that was the miracle. A broad path in the sea dried up so that a huge group of people could safely walk to the other side. Now, the defenses of Jericho fell so that the military victory could be easily won. Surely all of the soldiers on those walls presented... You know, no trouble being buried underneath its rubble. So Israel just comes in and immediately takes the city. So everything God promised came true. Moses believed. Joshua believed. They obeyed God. They had the people obey God. And so his salvation came to his people in a miraculous fashion. All right. So That's the miracle themselves. And now I have five uses. Here's the first one. Be reminded that according to scripture, most Old Testament Israelites were not believers. I'm always surprised when I talk to certain people, especially about eschatology. They seem to have the impression that every Israelite in the Old Testament, with only a few exceptions that all of them were right with God. Well, if you read your Bibles, it's exactly the opposite. Right? At the time of Moses, the, the number of, of saved people on the earth is it's really small. In Israel, it's apparently three. Now, maybe their wives or children or they, maybe some young people, but I mean, of the adults, there's three. In Elijah's day, the whole nation is corrupt except for a few thousand that haven't been to eat, right? I mean, on and on the story goes. There's really never a time when the vast majority of this populous people believes in God. This is why, in part, there needed to be a new covenant and a new people, and this is one of the ways that this assembly is, or at least should be, so very different from Old Testament Israel. Amen. Oh yes, we're connected. They are our fathers as, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. But there's been a change in the definition of the church of God. And now it's supposed to be made up of those who are the children of Abraham by faith, yeah. not the children of Abraham through circumcision. But please don't be shocked by the fact that in Jesus' day, the vast majority of the Jews didn't love or follow or believe him. Now, whatever your ethnic background is, it would have been the same if he came to you, (laughs) right? But we're not better than them in any way. But let's be very plain. The Jews, as a people, were not a good or believing people. They needed a savior. Even today, modern Israel is one of the least religious countries in the world. They and China are usually ranked number one and two for the least practice of religion in the world. So those of you who think the Jews are still God's special people and not the church, I don't understand how that fits with my Bible. It doesn't fit. Okay? Being numbered with the people of God in the Old Testament didn't get you to heaven. It it didn't. Oh, you received all kinds of blessings from God and you were near the word of God and the promises of God. Uh, Think of all the things that Paul rehearses in Romans that all the benefits of being a Jew are, amen, Paul. But unless it's combined with faith, it's nothing. It's nothing. Which is why when they rejected the son, he went to the pagans, the heathens, the you and me, the Gentiles, praise God. right? And we might add that, you know, being associated with the church in New Testament times, that by itself doesn't save you either. Going to church doesn't save you. Having Christian parents doesn't save you. Being outwardly moral, and none of you are, by the way, doesn't save you, even if you think you are. Getting baptized by itself doesn't save you. Reading your Bible doesn't save you. Now, all of these things are good things in proper relation to faith. But without faith, these will only damn you more. Mm -hmm. These will cause you to drop deeper into hell because you had more light and didn't join it with faith. You must have faith. (laughs) You must have faith. That's use number one. Use number two. We've seen this one before, but it's, it's right here, so I want to repeat it again. See again that the way of life for believers is often the way of death for unbelievers. The way of life for believers is often the way of death for unbelievers. Exact same circumstances. One leads to heaven, one leads to hell. One leads to life, one leads to death. One leads to joy, one leads to misery. In Noah's day, the waters that flooded the earth buoyed up the ark. The waters that were the destruction to unbelievers was the salvation of the believing eight. Eight. <laughs> eight. In the entire world. The sea that parted brought physical salvation to Israel and destroyed the Egyptian army. Same waters. The walls that fell at Jericho brought blessing to Israel and death to the Canaanites, and so to us in our day spiritually. Paul was commissioned by God to speak the truth in Christ. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, his words are an aroma to men, but it's not all sweet smelling. There were two smells, we might say that, That Paul brought to men to those being saved to those who believed he was the fragrance of life oh that smells good oh that gospel is delicious smelling that is sweet to those who are perishing to those who don't believe it's the fragrance of death same gospel the way of life for believers is often the way of death for unbelievers. According to Luke 2.34, Christ was appointed because he's, he's, really the, he's really the fulfillment, the epitome of this principle in Scripture, Jesus Christ himself. He's a fulfillment of all these pictures. In Luke 2.34, Christ was appointed for the rise and fall of many in Israel. Oh, no, no, no. No, God isn't like that. He, He was just there to help. He's there for the rise of some in Israel. No, he wasn't. That's not what your Bible says. He was given for the rise and the fall of many in Israel. God was never unjust in any of the falling. They got what they wanted. They got what they deserved. But for some, he was life. He was salvation. He was a sweet odor. <laughs> same person, same events, led some to spiritual life and some to spiritual death. We can keep going according to 1 Peter chapter 2. Jesus is the precious cornerstone so that all who believe on him will not be put to shame. They're being built into the house of God. What a beautiful picture. Yeah, except this stone. That builds up the house of God. For everyone who doesn't believe, they trip over it and they fall to their own destruction, it says. Jesus is the stone of stumbling or the stone to heaven. For those who believe his word, they'll never be put to shame. For those who refuse to believe his word, he will be a rock of offense. In other words, judgment will come. So let me urge every one of you here today to join the word with faith. If you do not, like all of these others, you and I will perish. We must believe the word of God. Third, use. Again, we've seen this one before. But it's often true that unbelievers benefit from the faith and blessings of believers. It's often true that unbelievers benefit from the faith or blessings of believers. That's dramatically illustrated in the crossing of the Red Sea. Moses had a faith that led to physical salvation for hundreds of thousands or perhaps millions of people who were overwhelmingly faithless. You know, there's a very similar story in the New Testament that it's almost hard to ignore. Um, in Acts 27, Paul's on a boat, and uh, the, the sea gets a little bad, gets a little rough, and this ship is going to break up, and they're all going to die. But because there is on this ship one man and perhaps uh, his, his friends in the faith, God says, I'm going to preserve every life on this boat. All 200 plus people, they're all safe. Not because they were right with God. Most of them were idolaters. The text is clear. But because he did good to his people, to believers, unbelievers received many, many blessings. God says to Paul, I have plans for you. You have to stand before Caesar. Caesar. So you can't die in the ocean right now, right? So I have granted the lives of all of those who are sailing with you. They're yours. Again, one of the major ways God displays love to the wicked is through the blessings he grants to believers. We need to keep going. Fourthly, faith... Must be exercised according to the promises of God. Faith must be exercised according to the promises of God. Moses had a promise of deliverance through the Red Sea. You and I don't. You and I don't. Oh, we have our own Red Seas that you have. No, you don't. Different time, different place, different covenant. Different promises no we don't he did he did Joshua had a promise that the walls will fall down we don't oh yes but you have citadels of Satan that you must knock down and if you have faith you oh, okay we don't have that promise we might have spiritual versions of it and other things but we don't have that promise the Berlin Wall fell in 1989. I don't remember that the reason it came down was because a bunch of Christians took this as their promise and started marching in front of it every day until it fell down. You know, they shouted loud enough and it fell over. No, that's, that's not what happened. That wasn't the promise. As almost miraculous as that seemed to many of us at the time. A good thing, a good thing. Pastor. Come on, give us a little credit. We're not that foolish. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Because many people around you are. And we can certainly be at times. You know, we are regularly told to claim miracles from God. To take what he gave to the saints in the Bible and make them ours. Well, some of those things may well be intended for you and me. If we rightly interpret the scriptures. But most of them are for a specific time, specific place, specific people. And it is not faith to take them to yourselves. That is presumption that is actually unbelief. All right? So you have to exercise faith according to the promises of God that come to you that are rightly yours. And there are many of these. And, and many of these do include the miraculous. I'm not trying to downplay this. and this, So this is our fifth and final point. True faith still has the promise of miracles. True faith still has the promise of miracles. Saving faith has wonderful power according to the promises of God. We could do this all day. Just, just think of some of the most common ones in the Bible. John 3.16. Whoever believes in God's Son won't perish, but will have eternal life. Can you give yourself eternal life? Is there something you can do that's so good or so powerful that it results in eternal life? Uh, By the way, the answer is no. In case you're wondering, the answer is no. No, you don't have that power. By faith, it can be yours, (laughs) How was Israel saved? In one sense, by walking across the sea. Yes. How was Israel saved? Well, by Moses raising his staff. Yes, in one sense, that's the right answer. By faith. Yeah, that's that's what the verse says. These were the God-appointed means to that salvation. But ultimately... (laughs) They were saved because God rolled back the waters. Not because they raised a stick or walked or... So your faith isn't worthy of eternal life. Your faith isn't so strong and so pure and so good that it earns you eternal life. But God has appointed that if you will obey his command to believe in Jesus Christ, he will take your weak faith and he will actually give you something way beyond what it deserves, eternal life. How does he do that? He does it this way. Your faith unites you to Jesus Christ and he has all the perfections and all of the power and everything necessary to get you eternal life. And so you receive it. But if you walk around bragging about your faith, you do not understand what God has done and what you have done in salvation. You don't get it. Because your little crummy, puny faith can't earn you eternal life. It can't get you anything. Except that God's ordained that that puts you in Jesus. And and therefore that everything that's his is yours. Doesn't that seem miraculous? Doesn't that seem like way more than what your faith should? Like, if you just obey God, that eternal life's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah, if you believe in Jesus, you're going to have eternal life. Your body's going to be raised from the dead. I don't care what happens to it. I don't care if it's consumed in a fire, eaten by fish, um, laid in the grave for thousands of years. On the last day, God is going to raise your body up. How? By faith. My my faith is going to is going to raise me from the dead? Well, in a certain sense, yeah. But not because your faith is so great, but because God has said, if you will believe in my son, who was raised from the dead, I will raise you from the dead with him, for him, to him. That's a miraculous. Faith has no merit on its own. It's powerless in itself. But it's the way God has chosen to unite you to Jesus Christ, who has all merit and all power. And so in that sense, you and I are saved by the miracle of faith. But ultimately, of course, it's not you're in my faith. It's the object of our faith. It's God himself who saves us. Let me give you one more example, then we'll be done. 1 John 5, 4. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Our faith, according to this verse, conquers the devil, the whole evil world system, and even our own sins. Is your faith really that strong by itself? So last week, when the devil came to you, in one form or another. Every time you overcame him. You never fell into sin. No misery. Yeah, I mean you just had a perfectly joyful. Obedient week. No. Not, none of us did. That's because it's not the perfection of your faith. It's that your faith is tied to <laughs> Jesus. Amen. Who has overcome the world. And so no, no matter what happens to us during the week. Christ continues to own us and hold us and cleanse us and keep us. Is your faith in itself more powerful than Satan? Is your faith in itself able to withstand all the assaults of the world? Well, again, you're, you're in my daily failures. Answer that question rather decisively, don't they? But our faith is the command that God gives for us to obey that unleashes the person and the work Of Jesus Christ and again he has overcome the world and so we are utterly safe I don't know about you but the older I get as a Christian the more I think that's miraculous that I'm still a Christian after all I've done and how I know how weak I am and if you don't feel that oh trust me you will (laughs) you will You, you you will sorry to say You needed the miracle of the new birth to be made a new person. And and you need the seemingly miraculous power, ongoing keeping by Jesus Christ rooted in his person and work for you to be kept safe. Uh, Faith is miraculous. We have all kinds of promises like this that if we will believe, God will be at work in our life. But it all does Require faith. Faith still has the promise of miracles. Saving faith still has wonderful power according to the promises of God and the work of Christ. So faith doesn't boast in itself. It brags about the greatness and power of God. Faith makes it clear that an inadequate instrument didn't bring about a miracle of grace. The God of grace brought about. So, sola deo gloria. All glory to God, for he alone is worthy. Let's pray.